Hello and welcome back to the Innovation Room. My name is Daniel Guajardo and joining me today is my co-host, Tori Hallman. And then we also have a special guest, which you can see here on the screen. So, you know, we don't have to try to hide it. It's Jenna Dominguez. We're super happy she's here with us. Uh, so a little bit Hi, first. Everyone. Oh, thanks, Jenna. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit first, uh, some background on Jenna, and then we'll let her get into what she does and introduce herself. Um, Jenna's the Client Development Manager at Brandy Group. It's a multi-site commercial facilities and construction management company. She's also a member of the Connects YP. She's uh, the co-chair on the committee alongside me. So we actually know each other pretty well and get to uh, talk often. So this is gonna be fun. Um, and then she was the recipient of the 2020 Rifma Shooting Star Award for the Outstanding Sales Achievement. Uh, Jenna, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, what you do? Sure. Hi everyone, thank you so much for having me on. Um, you covered a lot there, but uh, like you said, I'm the client development manager at Branded Group. I oversee um, both inside and outside sales. I've kind of gone through a crazy journey. I started as Branded Group's admin um, and found myself in a sales position when I said I would never be in sales. But um, here we are four years later, and thank God for my CEO because uh, he's the one that kept me around. So in sales, doing really well. I love the facilities industry, trying to be as um, uh, dedicated to being a, an involved young professional as possible. Great, great. Um, I guess real quick, just since you said you didn't want to be in sales, what uh, changed your mind? Is it, was it just a, maybe like a better understanding of what sales actually fully entails or someone talked you into it? <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was a a good salesman himself, Michael Kerland, our CEO. I went into his office one day and I said, Mike, I love being your admin, but the time has come. I need to move on from doing this. Um, so what are my options? And I said, I, I can't be in accounting because I'm terrible with numbers and I don't want to be in sales. And he said, I think you'd be great at sales. Just give give it a shot. Trust me. I, I know this is what I'm I'm good at scouting salespeople out. I think you'll be great at this. Um, so I gave it a shot and here we are. Nice. I'm a little hurt you didn't even consider marketing, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on. I didn't have like all the background for that. I actually went to school to be an art therapist. So I I could do a little bit of the crossover, but um yeah, sales ended up being where I landed. Great. Well, that uh, slides us right into the topic of today's episode, which is a uh, sales strategy, and especially in the B2B area. We're going to talk um, about how it's consistently changing uh, building client relationships and, you know, how we build that into a part of our sales strategy and how that is more important now than it really ever has been. At least that's what we think. Right. And that's our opinion. A lot of people kind of echo that, but, you know, some people might think differently. So to start off, let's just go over B2B sales strategy like a 101. Um, it requires a specialized approach. So what exactly is that to you, Jenna, as the client development manager at Branded Group? Um, I think it's being as human as you possibly can be, right? I think when you think of salespeople traditionally, you're thinking of someone that is going out there and making a hundred cold calls and sending a hundred emails every single day. And it's very transactional, but when you're working business to business, specifically in the facilities management industry, you need to be able to really build a relationship with the person that you're gonna be working with because we work in a volatile industry. Everything is all, always failing, right? You're not getting a call saying, my store's doing great, you know? No, it's, you know, there's a leak. 
things are flooding, things are not working, our operation is down, and you need to be able to have a relationship with the person that you're working with. So um, you can't just be transactional anymore. You have to have a personal touch when you're selling one-on-one -on -one between businesses. So there's a, I guess a lot more, because I don't really teach you that kind of stuff when you go to school for sales, because this is more like you said, the human aspect of it. So almost like a psychology or a, um, a study of people or whatnot and human behavior and how they act, because you have to be able to handle those situations if they're calling you upset or freaking out. Right. So you, you have to be trained to talk them down and walk them through everything. And um, so I guess nourishing the clients and the relationships in the B2B sales environment how important do you think that is on like a, a one to five scale? Like, is that up at the top or? Absolutely on the top. Um, I think that that is everything, right? Because you could either come out of problem starting with a, a strong foundation with this person, or you can come out of problem starting at nothing. And when you actually care about the person that you are working with, when you are consistently touching base and you're consistently growing your relationship, um, you can get through the hard times knowing that you actually care about the other person on the other end of it, right? But if it's someone that you talk to once a year just to get more work or, um, you know, get more money out of them, like they don't really care at that point and neither do you. So um, I think nourishing a relationship is everything and it's what makes you stand apart from those people that are more transactional, especially in an industry where most of these people have been working together for 40 years. They've become the best of friends. So in order to, to compete with that, you also have to try and be, you know, that person that they really get along with. Yeah. So you have to stand out for sure, especially, you know, changing vendors from your best friend to someone you've never, you know, met before is a big right. task. It doesn't happen overnight. It could be a long-term no. kind of relationship thing. Um, yeah, and you have to be patient. You have to be accepting of the fact that maybe the sales cycle is going to be two years. Maybe it's three years, you know, but when you get an opportunity, it will come and you'll have that three years behind you to, you know, get on a strong foot and strong start. So this is something that we were actually discussing in a, a meeting earlier this week or last week or something, but do you even... Um, tell people what you do when you first meet them or like how many conversations no. do you have with someone before you even mention what you do unless they ask? No, it's so funny. I actually just had a client event with a ton of my California clients and my boss was there and all of my top clients are people I didn't sell to. Mm -hmm. And they were, they all made the comment. It was like a Jedi mind trick because I never sold to them. They asked me to work with me. You know, they know what I do because they know I'm, you know, on LinkedIn. They know I'm in the industry. But if if you need me, I'm here, you know, and I'd rather get to know you and I'd rather be someone that pops in your head when you when you need someone um, than right off the bat. Just say, hey, do you do you want to work with me? Like, I don't want to be that person. So, no, I never sell. I never outright sell. Or if I do, I try and not be pushy about it i try and make it very natural and i want them to still feel like the ball's in their court so i say are you even open you know to getting introductions to new vendors or like what are the best practices for vendors that are interested in um, joining your network you know I'm, I'm really trying to make it that there is the one that is allowing me into the situation instead of forcing myself in there yeah sometimes i don't even ask that at first i just try to find out like do you have a need 
for us at all. Like, I don't need to yeah. be a vendor in your system if you don't have a need for us. But um, so I guess making them feel, I guess, um, just important and um, mm -hmm. you're interested in them genuinely and sincerely and you want to learn about them and understand who they are. And I think at any point, that's why you don't have to sell. People will sell themselves because they care about you now too. It's hard to hate somebody who's so nice to you, right? Like, <laughs> Right, right. And people like to work with people they get along with. Like at the end of the day, I would rather choose someone that I have created like a peer-to-peer -peer friendship with than some random person that just, you know, steamrolled me with their cell. Um, so there are times when I will talk to someone on LinkedIn, just, you know, peer-to-peer -peer for a year before we ever even talk about the, you know, the potential of working together. So it may not even come up. Like a lot of the time I'm reaching out and just saying like, hi, how's your work week going? And for a lot of people that doesn't, they don't want to have that conversation and that's fine. You may think your time is too important to, you know, respond to something like that. But I'm looking for the people that are on LinkedIn that are trying to build a network that say, hey, you know, it's not going so great. I've had a lot of fires this week. How about you? And then you just start, you know, corresponding that way. And that has really worked well for me because I don't have to sell that way. And then I'm finding like-minded people to be my partner. Yeah. No, that's a really good idea. So you're almost just like a socialite. Yeah. <laughs> <Not a> salesperson. <laughs> no. um, there, are, there are other aspects of sales besides, you know, the, that part of the relationship building that take a lot right. more technical skill, I suppose. But of course, so of course, this is kind of uh, the next thing I wanted to go over is like um, branding and your personal branding, like your reputation then is extremely important. And for people yeah. to, you know, have not have a misrepresentation of you could have, you know, that's could affect everything. So how seriously and or what steps do you take to make sure that you are keeping up with your personal brand and that uh, you like the way that you think people receive you? I try and be very intentional with the way that I'm presenting myself. Um, I think that everything is a marketing opportunity, even down to like wearing a bright color at a show you know people mm -hmm. are like oh the girl in the bright pink dress so i try to be very intentional even just about how i'm showing up in a space but also you know the my diction like the words that i'm choosing the energy that i'm choosing to bring to um you know an environment i want all of those things to be well thought out and i'm being mindful about all that because like you said, when somebody meets you, they're going to, they're going to take you for face value and then they're going to run with that. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be perfect every time. Obviously there's people that I've probably rubbed the wrong way or they didn't get the best of me in that moment. But I, at the very least, am being very conscious at every point, whether it's I'm at a networking event or I'm, you know, presenting like we did or part of the, you know, a co-chair for young professionals. Those are all opportunities that I'm being very, very intentional with. Are you then intentional with everything that you post online, like on LinkedIn, on Facebook or whatever, Twitter, whatever, um, I guess, platforms you prefer? Because I've noticed I'm always very intentional in person on meetings and calls, but then sometimes I'm more personal with my posts because I like to post my thoughts or, you know, things that interest me. And then there's sometimes I think like maybe I shouldn't have posted that, but uh, nothing too crazy. Um, do you ever worry about like how the way your words are taken when there's no way to explain or no explanation afterwards? Like text is different, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's always hard to dictate what someone's tone is over written word. So mm. I have to say I'm not as disciplined with social as I should be. Um, I definitely post, but I would like to, you know, be out there more commenting and doing, or I should be doing that more often. But the reason why I'm not as disciplined with it is because I'm the type of person that thrives in an in-person um, environment. Like I have to have that like exchange of energy. So for me, I, I do, I'm a lot more intentional about those moments, in-person moments than I am about social media. I'm just not as, as active um, on social media. Yeah. yeah. So I'm Jen, I'm kind of curious about that, right? Sales has to be, it's about the relationship. It has to be so personal. So, and, and you've touched on this, but I just want you to say a little bit more about this, how you're kind of balancing um, the digital, your digital presence and connecting with whether they're just clients or peers at, at networking events, uh, balancing that in person and digitally, what have you, what's effective for you? Um, videos as far as digital, because you can still get a full grasp of who that person is, I think, um, a lot better than just a post. Um, I think posts can be very successful, but like I said, I don't dedicate the time as much as I should to do it. But when I do do, when I do push um, content, I think videos have been really great because who I am on video is the same exact person as who I am in person. So you can resonate with that message. You can resonate with the person you saw in the video is the same person that you're meeting, um, you know, face to face. So I think that's been a really great way to balance the two and get my personality across. Yeah. And I would say that's generally reflected in just marketing trends, right? We have TikTok, we have Instagram reels. Those are yes. all the most popular platforms. So look, people, if you're not on video, you should be. You got to yeah, be doing absolutely. the video thing. So it's, it's awesome to see you doing that with your personal brand. Yeah. Thank you. And you get a lot of opportunity that way. People see that. And I've had people reach out just based off of videos that they saw online because they're like, I like what you're about. I want to work with you just off of that video. So that works really well because people get to see a piece of who you are. Hmm. You ever think it works the other way too? Like they're not going to tell you, but what if they saw your video and like, I'm not calling Jenna today. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm sure that has happened. They're like, that girl is pissing me off. Um, no, but I'm sure that that has happened and that's probably best, right? Like yeah. I think one of the things about sales and creating a personal approach is that you have to be okay with the fact that you're not going to be the right fit for everybody. Mm -hmm. You have to put your pride aside and say, Hey, I got you in the door. Maybe you got him in the door, got you in the door. We're trying to work together and we're just not finding any cohesion. I'm not the right fit for you. Maybe someone else will be, and you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And you just have to accept that it's not always going to work out. So will you do that internally, I guess? Because I've never really thought about this. I don't think we've ever had the situation arise. Um, but like, say they're a right fit for your company, but not a right fit for you personally. Maybe there's somebody, you yeah. know, like another salesperson, like they would love this person. Do you kind of like just transfer that over even if you started it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, at Branded Group, we do not have a competitive sales culture. We are not um, super rigid with, who we're selling to, where we're selling. It's not broken by region. We have verticals that are like just guidelines for us, um, but we're all very collaborative. So if I have a ton of clients, I think I reassigned 30 clients actually this year 
um, because it I just wasn't hitting the mark with them anymore. So let someone else give it a shot. And if they can revive the account, then that's awesome. And if they can't, well, then now it's been two people and maybe there's some other um, you know, things that we have to consider. Yeah. No, that's really, that's good. That's, uh, I would consider that next level because I don't think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people don't have their company structured in a way that allows for that. Uh, lots yeah. of competitiveness and lots of, you know, um, how you get paid, you know, your commission sometimes. Right. And right. people aren't willing to transfer. And that's sad, actually, because it's not the best for the client. It's not best for the company at that point. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, look, there's enough pieces of the pie for everybody, right? This is like over a $400 billion industry. So there's money to be spent. And if that client's not the right fit for you, but could be somewhere else, that salesperson that's on your team might have that same thing. And they're going to think of you when they need to pass it. So I just think, you know, always go for what's best for everybody, not just what's best for you. And it'll end up paying off. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think too, that, that, Right. So this idea of, of really competitive salespeople worked maybe 30, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, even was, was an effective way of selling. Um, but now, right. We have, we have millennials who are in these, these, some of these sales positions um, or the people who are buying the people who are running the facilities. Right. And so they're not interested in the competitive environment. They are interested in having that personal relationship. So I think it's a generational shift as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and there's some people from different generations who don't appreciate that personal touch, who, who want that old school type of selling um, business feel. And that that's okay. That works for them. But like you said, there's a new wave and we have to accept that this is also a really successful way to do things. Absolutely. All right. We're going to move into our, uh, our next topic. So we just, we want to talk about um, B2B sales strategies kind of in the big picture, but also over the long run. And what is, what does that look like? And, and obviously creating a long-term strategy is the best way to help your business succeed. Um, so, so Jenna, can you just speak to some of these, these bigger picture sales strategies? I know you mentioned before that you have a, pr a pretty long sales cycle. So maybe speaking to that, how do you find prospects, um, right? Looking into the next year, what are you, what are you doing to generate more business? So I'm not necessarily looking for an amount of clients to bring in. I'm not trying to burn through tons of leads every week to bring in tons of accounts. Um, I'm really trying to be intentional about the accounts that I'm going after. And I want to put the right time to do quality outreach. So I'm looking for accounts that have growth potential that are doing really well you know, I have to keep up with retail trends. I have to keep up with um, just, you know, <laughs> the global environment in general. After the pandemic, we saw that obviously restaurants and retail, uh, retail are volatile industries when something like a pandemic happens. So all of a sudden everyone's shifting to, okay, let's look at healthcare. Let's look at dental, cannabis, um, things that were deemed essential during something like this, because I'm sure this pandemic is not the last that we're gonna see. So you're looking for longevity, you're looking for the brands that are popping up all over, and maybe there's only four now, but they have um, you know, 10 in the next six months. So it's not always looking for the biggest 
account. It's not always looking for the biggest brand. It's looking for the most quality potential for the long term. And people that are interested or see a value in facilities management, because there's a lot of people who don't want to buy into a third party. Um, but the companies that realize that it could be an asset, those are the ones that I want. Gotcha. So in this in this sales cycle, are there like benchmarks that you're looking for as far as your conversations go? Like, do you have a general, like, this is kind of the timeline I'd like to operate in or not so much? You never really know because there, there may be like, I just brought on like an account. I won't say who, but, um, it took two years just to finally get them in the door, two years of work, you know? Um, but then there was another account that it happened within a week. So you never really know. You don't know where um, they are at in their own cycle. Like, are they even able to bring on vendors right now? And if they're not, you have to be understanding. You don't want to be pushy. It's not right now, but it could be later. So um, I think what I'm looking for is more of the potential in a relationship rather than the potential of working together. Um, Because even if, the relationship, or even if they're not ready to bring me on where they're at, if we have a good relationship and they leave and they can bring me on immediately somewhere else, like that's always great. So opportunities aren't always like where, you know, just at the surface level, they can be years down the road and you have to kind of play that long game in facilities. Yeah, absolutely. So Jenna, what are, um, what are some of the challenges that you've encountered, the big challenges in B2B sales? I think the one of the biggest challenges is that you're not just selling a product or a software, right? You're selling a whole business and a business is very complex. You have to not only sell the business if it's financially stable, if it's minority owned, if it's an award-winning business, if it's an accredited business. So once you get through that level, you check those boxes, then it's like, okay, what are your processes? Do they even match up with ours? Are your KPIs the same? Are we going to meet your standard level uh, um, service agreements, you know? And then once you check that box, you have to get to personnel, like are we even going to work well together? You may be able to be a good match as a business, but then maybe the personnel just don't find their flow. So I think that it's just a lot more complex of a sale. Um, Whereas if it's a software or maybe a product, you can do a demo, you can pretty much know yes or no, is this going to be a fit? And that's oversimplifying the process, but it's a little more cut and dry. Either the product or the software is going to do it or it doesn't. Um, and you kind of just get what you get. Whereas like a business, there's so much that goes into it. Right. Right. In order to succeed. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. B2C, like your, your, your funnel can exist in five minutes. You see the ad on Instagram, you click the link, you decide you want the shoes, you buy the shoes, you know? Right. And, and so they're just, yeah. Complexity. So, so many more layers than than you get in your basic B2C um, transaction. So then, so counter to that, right. There are obviously quite a few challenges, but what are some of the joys that you have um, as a part of your work? What, what do you really love about your job? I get to solve problems all day and I really get to use my brain and um, my ability to connect with other people um, on the daily. 
So I think that's one of the greatest things is when there's a huge problem, a huge fire, I can be someone's like peace for a little bit. Like, Hey, I know that this is going on, but we've got this. We're going to keep you updated the whole time. I promise you, your boss is not going to be super pissed at the end of this, you know? So it's like, I get to look at a problem, figure it out. And I'm not only doing that for my client, but I'm also doing that for the team, right? I have to be the person that bridges both ends. So it's, it's stressful. It's chaotic. Um, sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this? But it is so um, rewarding when you finally figure it out and everyone goes, <sighs> and you're like, I told you it wasn't, it's not that bad. It, we were going to figure it out, you know? So I really enjoy that. That's, that's so awesome. That's so awesome. So then um, finally, Jenna, just as a young professional, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received, whether in a professional context or a personal context? What would you say? I think that the best thing I was ever told, and I'm not sure if it's so much advice, but um, everyone wants to give a yes and everyone wants to hear yes, but yes is not always the answer. Um, so I think setting expectations are everything. I think if you can just tell your client, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people that would love to tell you yes right now and say they take this on. But if I do that, I'm going to fail, which means you fail. And I, that's not what I'm here for. If you can just set an expectation, don't, don't tell someone yes, just because they want to hear it and set the expectation. You're almost always going to be better off because if you say, you know, I can take this on, but X, Y, Z is going to happen when X, Y, Z happens, everyone already knew that was coming. So now you don't have a chain of command that's upset. Um, so I think expectations are everything, uh, set them up with your internal team with yourself with your clients and um you'll be 100 on a better foot than if you didn't yeah no absolutely i mean i think that's advice that i've received several times and still struggle with you know that i'm yeah. totally a yes person and i want to i want to be there for you i want to care for you and um i find it's mostly like in volunteer context i i find um i you know I want to give you the yes. And I do a lot of times. And then, um, but, the, but sometimes, you know, it's not the best for the group. It's not, it's definitely not the best for you. You know, you're overwhelmed um, and you, then you're like Dan and you don't take a vacation for a year and a half, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just better for everyone when you, you're right. When you set those really clear boundaries and those clear expectations. So, right, I've heard that right. advice before, but it was like more of a riddle. I'm not sure I fully understood it. But... <laughs> <What>? <laughs> more of a riddle than like a something I could follow. Like, so don't say yes, but say no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And um, they probably didn't phrase it to me so much like that. But um, yeah, I think just setting expectations is everything. And and yeah. you'll you'll keep a lot of people cooler that way. Um mm -hmm. and it, it just gives you a little bit more merit when you can set yourself up for success that way so we're sales training it's just like continuals year year long you know different things or whatnot for our company and uh one mm -hmm. of the things they talk about a lot is setting an upfront contract and that's kind of the same thing as you know setting that expectations even people ask like what's the outcome of today's call are we making decisions today are we just going over stuff and it just makes the call so much better and easier to actually get what you want out there by setting that and then at the yep. very end 
um, I like note down on my pad, like as I'm taking notes during a call, like a little one, two, three, and I try to hit those points. So then at the very end, I could say, so this, this, and this will be what we talk about when I call you next week. And then it sets the expectations, not only for that meeting, but you're already setting them up for the next time. And things just mm -hmm. kind of run smooth, at least for me that way. Um, yes. No, absolutely. I assume that's what structure. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You can also say no without saying no by asking a lot of questions. So if you know you shouldn't say yes, but you have a hard time with not saying yes, uh, try to ask why they're asking you to do this and almost lead them to uh, change their own mind. Like, I actually yeah. don't do this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it works yeah. sometimes really well, or you know, sometimes it might not, but uh, if you yeah. have a hard time saying no, that can help sometimes. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be no. It could be yes with the expectation that these things are also going to have to happen or will come up. Um, but either way, just being as honest as possible to set yourself up um, because you don't want to crawl out, a hole, out of a hole when you're starting. So, and you don't want to put your team in a bad position. Like if I said yes to everything, my team would really not be able to succeed. Um, or if I didn't give any clear expectations around what I'm saying yes to, yeah, we're, there's no way you'd be able to see it 100% of the time. So I think it's just, you know, it, you can use that in any point of life, right? Like if you're, if you're telling your husband, you're going to be out for the, for the night or for an hour, and then that's going to turn into much longer, you could just set that expectation. Hey, actually, I think it's going to be really a, a lot later. I'm not going to get home for another four hours. They're probably not going to be as upset as if, you didn't say anything at all. And then it's five hours later and it was supposed to be a one hour lunch. So just in general, set the expectation, save yourself a lot of arguments and a lot never of told my husband people. That. <laughs> <laughs> <happens>. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, for sure. So a good analogy too, that I just thought of while you're talking about that is a, a bookends. So like when you are setting expectations, think of them as um bookends on a shelf and that you know there's the first expectation then everything you go in between and then make sure it's still reiterated there at the end so people are clear about everything mm -hmm. uh, i just learned that actually a little while ago and i try to think about it now when i'm talking with somebody to make sure that like you didn't lose the expectation in the conversation i guess because sometimes right. i'll do that i can talk too much apparently i've heard <laughs> <laughs> I'm hey, sure now you have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was I was in a, a meeting just a, a few days ago and it was it was like kind of a consulting type of type of meeting and and this it was just it felt extremely wishy-washy and I was like on a time crunch like I have to go at this time and so I'm like look people we need to, what are we doing from here? Are right. we setting a meeting for, for next week? Like, what are the expectations? How are we, you know, how are we moving forward? And for someone who's, who's, um, you know, I can think big picture, but I also, I like to have the action items. And I think most people generally do, you know, you, when you walk away from a meeting or any sort of interaction without direction, like yep. what the heck is going on, you know? So, so setting the expectations, whether it's very minute, details, like I'm going to complete this thing before our next meeting or, you know, bigger picture talking about the sales cycle or whatever it is, but you've got to set the expectations and then you have to communicate them, you know? Yeah. Remember yeah. them by the next meeting. I'm bad at that. <laughs> we'll set them. We'll walk away. We'll do our thing. The next meeting comes and like, well, we're and you're like, I didn't do the thing that I was supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah also I'm guilty of that. <laughs> We've all been there. Yes. 
So setting an alarm and expectations. <laughs> well, yeah. Right. <laughs> always be prepared. Well, always be prepared. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for, for being on the show with us. We've, we've loved chatting with you. This has been great. And I've heard so much about you. So it's, it's nice to meet you digitally as well. Yes. No, thank you so much for inviting me. I had fun. Hopefully not too much of this has to get cut out, but <laughs> no, I had a really, really great time. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. So, um, everybody who is watching, I think we have a smart session coming up on the 30th. This should go up probably before that. Uh, Jenna, Perfect. will you be back in town by the 30th? Yes. Yes, I will. Great. So, um, you know, catch us there for the YP Connects Committee. We're going to be like all over LinkedIn for a week. This will be kind of fun. No, but uh, yeah. <laughs> and then please remember to like, subscribe and share and reach out to us. If you have any questions or concerns, we'll be happy to answer them or discuss further. Uh, we're here to help. So thanks again, Jenna. Thanks, Tori. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.